Hi, and thank you for joining the Startup Guide to Growth. My name is Rico Malazzi, and I'm Senior Director of Go-To-Market Ops at Sapphire Ventures. On this episode, I spoke with Steve Hallowell. Steve has led major sales transformation efforts at some of the fastest growing technology companies over the past decade, such as Responsys, MuleSoft, Snowflake, and today at Highspot. His roles have spanned sales enablement, sales operations, and product marketing. He has a unique perspective on building a go-to-market engine that can support both high productivity and rapid scale. On this episode, we discuss getting strong sales efficiency across your teams, the core responsibility of a best-in-class sales enablement team, and when you should think about starting a sales enablement function. Steve, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here, Rico. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, and I'd like to kick it off by getting to understand a little bit about your background, your career and experiences in the go-to-market space. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been part of, let's say, I guess this is now my fourth company in sort of the, the growth stage. I've, I've typically joined in the sort of lower tens of millions of revenue and then scaled up from there up to 500 million and beyond. And I think one of the kind of defining elements of what I've been involved in is that, you know, at least to my experience, each of these companies needs to undergo a pretty significant transformation in its growth journey. And so a lot of what I've focused on is helped, helping to lead that transformation process of help us go from, you know, kind of the early days of selling, selling to innovators and early adopters to really being able to sell to the mass market, sell based on value, challenger selling and the like. And doing that from the chair typically of sales enablement, sales operations, sales strategy, leading those teams. So how many different sales methodologies have you used? You know, I've seen plenty, but, you know, as, as I think you and your most of your listeners would appreciate, there's some common themes across them that, you know, it's really about kind of finding the, the nuggets that are really pertinent. And, you know, typically, actually, we've just kind of ruled our own based on the, the best of, of what's out there. Great. Remix, reinvention of all the best elements of the ones out there. That sounds good. One of the things you're working on is the, the strategic enablement framework currently, and, and it's a methodology or a blueprint and one of the things you and I talked about before is really nailing what we call sales productivity, well, what I called sales productivity linearity. So what does that mean and how does that framework kind of support that? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the things that you know has, has really stuck out to me, and this is both from the companies that I've been an employee of, but also other companies I've had the chance to work with over the years. You know, I think we all sort of assume in our lives that things follow a bell curve, and especially that seller performance follows a bell curve, where most people are kind of in the middle. And yet the unfortunate reality for salespeople is that there's often an awful lot more way off on the left-hand side of that curve who are not doing real well. You know, maybe their attainment is less than, you know, 75 or less than 50% of quota, which is not a great place to be for them or for the company. And, you know, to me, the implication of this, if you're trying to scale is, is pretty big, that it's kind of like you've got a, you know, let's say you had a big V12 engine in your car, you got this awesome big engine, but only two cylinders are working. So you're dragging around this big, heavy thing and you're not getting the performance. And for companies, you know, that big, heavy thing shows up in terms of expense. You've got a marketing and sales development organization cranking out leads and opportunities that land with reps who aren't able to close them. You've got a bunch of reps who are taking time from sales leadership. You've got SC, you know, you know technical sales time. You've got other specialist time that's all being wasted because you've got a big group of your organization that is struggling to really perform at the level they could. And when I see this, it's a sign that typically the organization hasn't figured out how to take 
what the best people are doing. So what is actually working to sell this product? What are the things that we know to be true and helping that broader base of people do it? You know, instead they're kind of relying on, we've got some very capable people. Maybe it's that they've been at the company a long time. Maybe it's that they're exceptionally talented. Maybe they have, you know, phenomenal territories, you know, it could be any one of those things, but we're allowing there to be a situation where some people are sort of, you know, either lucky or exceptionally smart, but that's not something we're able to scale. And of course, if you're trying to scale a business from, you know, whatever size you are to something much larger, you want all those cylinders firing as effectively as possible. And so that's really what this framework is designed to do, is to say, how do you actually help get that consistent performance across your team? What are usually the failures in those cylinders? Like, how do they manifest themselves in a company? And then maybe briefly touch upon, like, how do you correct those? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it comes down to two things that are pretty simple to say, but hard to do in reality. It comes down to one, have you really gotten clear about what you want your people to go do? And it sounds like one of those things, oh, of course we know we want our people to go do. And yet maybe you do in sort of an implicit way, but is it written down and kind of documented at the level that somebody else can follow it? Just because one or two salespeople or your senior executives know what great looks like, that doesn't mean it's in a form that you can scale it yet. And often companies don't get specific enough about what they want their teams to do. This doesn't mean sort of trying to create a paint by numbers environment. You know, you're never going to, this is not a, uh, you know, take away all the thought from the reps. There's still a tremendous amount of thought that has to be done, but you don't want to ask people to reinvent the wheel over and over again when they, there's simply no good reason to do that. That that's where you get a lot of kind of error in this. And it'd be kind of would be like, you know, let's say you wanted to go climb, you wanted to get a bunch of people to go climb a, a big mountain, you know, take your mountain of choice, whether you're Mount Rainier or Mount Whitney on the West Coast, you know, Mount Washington in the East Coast. And let's say under some challenging circumstances, like right now in February. And if I just told people, hey, top of the mountains that way, go figure it out. Probably my success rate wouldn't be real high. On the other hand, if I give them a map and the right clothes and the right training on and the right gear, you know, in terms of how to navigate those situations in the winter, my success rate is going to be a lot higher. So those people still have a lot of hard work to do. They still have to climb the mountain. They may have to figure out how to get across, you know, icy snowfields on their own, but at least we're setting them up for success versus making them figure it out from scratch. And the equipment in this example would be playbooks, video training. What have you found to be like the most effective training mechanisms for sales teams? Well, so that actually touches on the other kind of half of the framework. You, know, you asked about the failure modes. One is that we're just simply not clear with the team about what we want them to do. The other is we don't have a systematic approach and process for really you know, helping embed those behaviors in the team. And we're not helping the team really master the things that matter. And I think about sort of four layers to that. The first layer is where, you know, it's kind of what we were just talking about. Have you written down what you want people to do? Is it well-documented? Is it clear? Do they have the resources and tools, be that, you know, sales-facing assets, decks, you know, discovery guides, just background on their customer, you know, et cetera. And that would be the analogy of I've given you the map and the field guide and the, you know, and the, the ice axe and the jacket and told you to go, you know, go have at it. But most of us, for most of us, that's not enough. You know, if, if you asked me to go climb Mount Rainier right now with just that experience, that I would would not do it. You know, I would say, hey man, I'm not putting my life at risk. I would want to go practice with that special gear and build confidence in a safe place. And so 
the training piece is about, you know, really good training should break down a complex concept, you know, especially if you're trying to really understand your product differentiation or really understand, you know, a persona that you're engaging in their challenges. How do I break that down into small pieces, make it easy to understand it and help people learn in a structured way? The other piece of that is having structured practice. So, you know, most of us learn by doing, we want to try things in a safe environment. We want to get feedback. And then once we're feeling confident, then we can go out and do it in the real world. And often organizations don't provide enough structured practice that the reps say, I get this, this makes sense to me. And I feel good about doing it in the real world. It stops somewhere short of that. And so there's this sort of confidence divide that folks have to bridge. The next layer after that is if you don't actually manage to it, if there's not an expectation uh, in the field that we actually go do this, you know, you could give me all the training in the world. You give me all the stuff. And if I'm kind of nervous about this, I might keep delaying the day. I'm going to go try that hike for a long time. But if you say, you know, Hey, look, Steve, we're going to pick a date. We're going to pick a customer. We're going to go do it together. I'm going to be there to coach you and let's go try it. You know, obviously I'm, I'm going to get that done. And um, so I think that next piece that companies you know tend to miss is, is sales management really engaged in driving these things? Does a frontline sales manager know it's part of their responsibility to go drive these things? And do they have the training in terms of how to go coach it? I think that's a, that's a great point. There needs to be very tight alignment with that, those frontline sales managers to make sure that they're also communicating what you just mentioned. One of the other areas I wanted to focus on on is is really the the role of sales enablement. I, I feel like it, it can be nebulous, but you know that responsibility. I think of the framework you just mentioned and those four levels to execute on them is the sales enablement team. But can you give me through your eyes and your experiences what really and truly the role of sales enablement is, and how does it work most effectively within an organization? Yeah. So, you know, I think if you go back to these two pillars of defining what great looks like and then scaling great, if you will, define the winning behaviors, help people master the winning behaviors. Classic sales enablement is going to be over on the right of helping to master winning behaviors. And, you know, the, the tools in the toolkit are typically, I can, you know, work with marketing and build content. I can make that available. I can run training. And actually, sometimes I think organizations sort of over-delegate to sales enablement and say, hey, sales enablement is just going to fix this problem for me without recognizing the role that sales management needs to play in there as well and really creating a strong interlock there. So you know, I think that the, the table stakes for sales enablement is driving those first two pieces. The next level of strength is that they're really going to be pushing to engage sales management and building the sales manager enablement and have that very tight interlock um, with sales leadership to drive those things, really having a point of view on what do people out inside and outside of the enabling team need to do to drive these behaviors. The next level after that is this more kind of strategic side of helping to define what great looks like. And this again is something that sales enablement can't do by themselves. You know, I find you you really need sales leadership, it's marketing leadership, it's enablement, and ops has a role to play as well to get really clear about what we want the best people to go do. But somebody's got to lead that charge. And the reason that it's so often, the companies so often don't do this well is you look across that group of people and no one of those people feels accountability on a daily basis to getting it right. That often the sales leader would be kind of a natural place to go, but sales leader, you know, with all 
you know, all the right intention can get caught up in the day-to-day. They may not be as comfortable operating in a zone of sort of, hey, let me step back and build some frameworks around this and sort of architecting that plan. The marketing leader might be a little stronger there, but often the marketing leader is pretty removed from the day-to-day of the sales conversations. And so one of the places that I think really strategic enablement can play a big role is to quarterback that effort, to make sure that that work is getting done, pulling the right people into you know, workshops or discussions to drive the organization to have a very clear view of what exactly do we want our people to do so that we have something that the rest of the, the kind of more tactical enabling team can actually go help scale and drive. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that definitely does. And I like how you broke it down into those two core functions and then where they overlap is almost kind of visualizing a Venn diagram uh, in my head. Um, I think, you know, also the role is, you know, is a challenging role to be in sales enablement because, I mean, let's be honest, working in sales is, is pretty stressful. You're measured quarterly. It's pretty obvious if you did good or if you did not do good. So you really have to make this enablement activities, whatever they may be, easy, right? Not so it doesn't look like it's it's impeding on their job, if anything, obviously helping to accelerate it. So are there any ways to make it easy? I guess maybe one of those ways is kind of integrating it with sales management, right? So it becomes one. Are there other ways to make it easy? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, when I think about making it easy, I want to make it as, first off, I want to make it as easy as possible for your sellers to do what you want them to do. So that means taking friction out of that process as much as possible. So that's things like, can they find the material they need? Are there clear examples of, hey, this is what, not necessarily the CEO or the head of sales, but a peer doing what you want them to do, you know, where they can look at somebody and say, that person's like me. You know, they're not somebody who's sort of special. I can replicate that. I can copy what that person's doing. Are, are those examples there? So that's kind of the foundation of making it easy. Now, sometimes you're going to need to push the rep sometimes, and that's okay. You know, that's where you know, training shouldn't always be easy. In fact, I believe that uh, if training is easy, it's probably not adding a lot of value. So um, if you need to have training, if you say, hey, we have a gap, it's okay to make that pretty challenging. And in fact, people will probably respond better if that's pretty challenging than if it's something where they say, there's a layup, I don't really need to be doing this. So I think there's a little bit of a trap in making it easy. We want to take friction out where friction is an impediment. But if we have some real meaty skills to go develop, that's going to require challenging training, challenging practice, real accountability. And that's the only way those pieces are going to come together. But we want to make sure that everybody along the way, whatever job we're asking them to do, it's clear and straightforward in terms of what that ask is, whether that's an AE or that's a sales manager that we're asking to inspect and coach these activities. I think that's, that's a great description of it. And then also there needs to be some level of accountability. So how do you kind of create accountability around a lot of these resources because you know to run an enablement program it is expensive in some cases it is you know resource commitments where resources are inherently scarce within a startup so how do you make create accountability to make sure that everyone's kind of executing on the vision you set out yeah so i think the really clear thing comes back to having clear goals and knowing what you want the team to go accomplish and so you know you may start with sort of an objective like we want faster onboarding, but it's important that the enablement leader and the sales leader are able to dissect that a bit and say, okay, well, why is onboarding too slow today? What's the place that people are struggling? And you know, let's say a common place might be, hey, uh, new hires are slow to build pipeline. 
So then you say, okay, great. That's something that's tangible now. You know, that's something that I can measure. I can look at pretty quickly. And, you know, now we can say, okay, you know, so one, one of the things that, that we did at, at MuleSoft and I replicated at Snowflake, and I'll give uh, Simon Parmet uh, over at MuleSoft credit for frankly pushing me to do this, which was, you know, we built out a dashboard where we knew for every new hire, two months, three months, six months, nine months, what should their pipeline build look like? And we were able to see who's red, who's green. And if somebody was in the red, you know, then that prompted, I would have somebody on my team go have a chat with their sales manager, diagnose it. What's the issue here? What do we need to fix? Some of these were one-off things like, you know, somebody got their territory too late or somebody's SDR pairing wasn't working out well. But sometimes there are things that we said, hey, we're not, you know, systematically enabling people on the right stuff. People are struggling you know, thematically in a current, in a common place. And so we need to go build a program to go fix that. But you have to be anchored on something really concrete that you want the team to go do. Um, and it's got to be concrete enough that it's actionable and you can measure it. Yeah. I think visibility is key, right? If you can't measure it, then you can't fix it. And I also think the example you use there is, is kind of getting to first principles, right? Like onboarding is just too broad of a thing to tackle with an initiative. You need to have the, the pain point to identify what initiative to point it at. So I think that's excellent. A lot of companies you know, are in this growth stage and you know, sales enablement isn't there from day one. <laughs> so when, you know, from your experiences doing this multiple times at a few companies and now in your role, kind of enabling sales enablement teams, when do you think the right time is to start this organization within a startup? You know, I think when you get to around a dozen to two dozen sales reps is, is about the right time to do it. And, you know, I would say most companies, I would say I've usually been hired too late. I've typically been kind of the first enablement hire and then kind of build that organization. And it's usually too late. It's sort of at the point that we are, there's a lot more catch up and kind of uh, retrofitting things in ways that if we just got it right in the first place, we'd be better off. But I would say the reason to, if you go earlier, it can be tempting, especially in early stages to say, you know, we just want somebody who can go run a little bit of training. And I actually think that's one of the less important pieces early on because you don't have the scale that that um, really demands kind of rigorous and consistent training. You know, your managers can do that. I think the piece of are we systematically, you know, at that stage, you're learning how to sell. You know, you're you're still you're learning what that you know best path for selling your product is and and what that motion looks like. And so the ability to have somebody with enough sort of sales experience and you know ability to kind of think abstractly and package things to help you accelerate that process of codifying what the best people are doing and then helping to disseminate that across the team you know how do you sort of accelerate the organizational learning of the company as you're learning how to sell your product i think is one of the best things you could have in a first enablement hire so somewhat being like the detective to identify the winning the winning playbooks the winning strategies that you can then go implement um, don't assume that you know it before you hire that sales enablement person, because you're probably at that point still getting anecdotal evidence um, is, is, I think, what I'm pulling out of this, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, listen, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the head of sales knows it. and maybe the head of sales, it's like it's very natural for the head of sales. But head of sales doesn't usually have time to kind of really write that down and codify it in a way that all the folks you're hiring can then replicate it. You know, the other thing I find, you know, I think it's common in, in many fields is that somebody who's sort of second nature at doing something is often not great at teaching. 
they just do it naturally. They don't know how to communicate clearly, I'm doing this for this reason. And it often takes a partner to work with them and sort of ask them questions like, why did you do it that way? You know, why not do it this way? You know, tell me more about that. And that act of sort of really packaging and crystallizing what, whether it's the head of sales or a, you know, a top AE is doing so that you can then scale it is one of the pieces that I think is very often missed. No, that, that, that's great. Um, I like to end these conversations with the, a question a little bit off, off the beat of, of what we've been talking about. So I wanted to ask you, what is your favorite hobby? I don't know. We had a lot of mountain analogy, so I don't know if you climb Mount Rainier. What's your favorite hobby and why do you enjoy it? Yeah. So, you know, sort of is the answer. You know, I love getting outside and being active and whether that's, you know, running, cycling, you know, hiking, what have you, you know, that's my place to go blow off steam and how I manage stress and stay healthy and all those things. You know, it's a, a good day for me is when I've gotten some really good aerobic exercise in and I haven't really gravitated towards like the big mountain climbing. I'm not sort of a, you know, a technical climber. I'm more uh, endorphin versus adrenaline in that way. But, but I actually do think I mean, something like Rainier could be a lot of fun to do someday, but I have no, no aspirations for, you know, something like Everest or the, the really big mountains. Well, Renee would be, would be pretty cool. I like the endorphin versus adrenaline thing. I think I, I kind of do those activities for the same reasons. And especially now it's kind of critical just to get outside since we're all always inside and, you know, our surroundings aren't changing as much as they used to be when we were uh, in a different environment. So that's great. Steve, once again, I want to thank you for your time. This was a, a great discussion. If people want to get in touch with you. What's the best way? Is LinkedIn? LinkedIn's great. They can also shoot me an email, steve.hallowell at highspot.com. Happy to chat. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time, Steve, and uh, look forward to having more discussions. Awesome. Thanks so much, Rico. Good to talk to you.